0: Let's go. Let's go. Oh, no. i no, want sorry, sorry. I'll let you. I'll let you. Next one. I'm excited, and I feel
1: relaxed,
0: and I'm ready to party! Don't say so sorry. You don't need to do that. You don't need to apologize. It's a fucked up female habit. You don't need to be sorry for anything ever.
1: Can you guess what every woman's worst nightmare is?
0: I don't have rage issues!
1: I have nothing to prove to you. When I'm good, I'm very good. But when I'm bad, i'm better i say when it comes to stardom and Lawrence there are no accidents hi karen peterson hello and welcome to citizen team the podcast where we guess twitter is still a thing for now and um yeah we we're gonna talk about bullshit
0: today at, at at time of recording Twitter yes still thing
1: <laughs> who knows so by the time you're actually listening
0: saturday november 19th uh <laughs> 11 12 east coast time <laughs> yep we'll uh
1: we'll see what it looks like on monday i am karen m peterson i don't know why i threw in my middle initial <laughs> <laughs>
0: it's gonna be one of those shows uh joined as always by lauren humphreys brooks i am lauren humphreys brooks that is actually my my last name too humphreys brooks it's not a middle initial or anything (laughs) sometimes i go by lhb you know lauren hb (laughs) (laughs) all the
1: cool things um how are you
0: i'm good i'm like it's it's cold it's cold here weather report in new york city it is cold uh <laughs> it is cold but sunny which is nice we are not um buffalo which is just apparently gotten like six feet of snow <laughs> so that's exciting good i'm sorry buffalo buffalo always gets hit though they always get like so right there on on the lake and and they always it's just like in buffalo we've had like 12 feet of snow in the past five (laughs) minutes it's just like jesus christ buffalo you're a very cool city in a lot of ways but man like i
1: do not want to live there (laughs) i remember one time when i was living in this little town in quebec and we got four feet of snow in eight hours and i was just like what is happening it's the apocalypse (laughs) and they were like it's It's a monday (laughs)
0: it's wild when that well that that's the thing it seems like like i say this seems to happen in buffalo almost every year like since i can remember basically so it's just like buffalo has six feet of snow of course they do of course they have six feet of snow why wouldn't they (laughs) (laughs) it's
1: their fault for building buffalo where they
0: did honestly yeah obviously
1: (laughs) (laughs) um i I am going to the Elton John concert tomorrow night. It's the very final show. It's actually broadcasting on Disney plus they're live streaming it. Um, so when I bought the tickets, I was like, Oh, this is going to be cool to go to his last show. Not really thinking. I don't have a lot of foresight sometimes on uncertain things. Um, mostly because I don't let myself think about them, but this concert has taken on like a whole other life that I did not anticipate. And um yeah so it's actually a really big deal that it's elton john's last show apparently who knew yeah it would be (laughs) yeah i would think that it would be i know and now it's like at the time that i bought the tickets i was like oh these are really expensive and now i'm like man i got them so cheap um definitely less than taylor swift tickets i will say that um but uh my friend is coming in from salt lake and i was warning her i was like hey we're it's it's at a stadium so it's outside it's gonna be cold and she's like oh okay what's the weather gonna be like how what's the temperature and i said oh it's gonna get down into the the 50s and she's like oh
0: that sounds so nice and i went oh yeah i forgot where you (laughs) live (laughs) It's it's sweater weather. Yeah. <laughs> plus plus like in a in an outdoor venue, but even with the number of people that are going to be there, it's going to probably be warm actually. That was Yeah, that was my thing. I was like, "We'll
1: bring jackets just in case, but it probably will be warm enough with all the the crowd that we really won't feel the cold." But yeah, I was like, "Oh yeah, I'm a California girl. I forget this sometimes. But it's not the same for everybody everywhere." So, anyway, um yeah how are you <laughs> did i already ask you that
0: yeah you did but i i am i am good i'm good i'm just <laughs> still good just, just cold just sit just, just cold in new york city yes the wind is what really gets you sometimes yeah. and we actually are like right on the water that's something people a lot of people including myself tend to forget about new york mm-hmm. uh is that we're surrounded by water so we get a lot of like wind and and rain and sudden changes in weather yeah yeah yeah
1: Man. So I am a little bit out of it this week. <laughs> and uh it's been kind of a crazy week. I had a lot of events. Um I had three screenings. Well, two screenings and a movie premiere, which was awesome. I got to go to the Knives Out premiere or no, Glass Onion. It's not Knives Out, it's mm-hmm. Glass Onion. Um, but I got to go to that and it was really, really fun. Um, and I'm not giving Anything away about this movie, I don't want to spoil the experience for anybody. I'm only going to say that I really enjoyed it the first time and I enjoyed it even more the second time. Once you actually know what happens and you can like look for clues along the way, and you're like, oh my gosh, that's totally right there. You know, it's 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 so much fun. So
0: I'm excited. Sign of a good movie. Yeah. It's a sign of a good movie.
1: Yeah. You know what else is really fun about it is I got to talk to Ryan Johnson um afterwards and just you know just for a minute and we were geeking out about a couple of things and it was just so funny because it was like I was telling him oh and I loved this and that and he was getting all excited about like his own cleverness and like not in (laughs) a yes I'm so brilliant it was more like I know right wasn't that so fun it was like he was he was tickled by (laughs) his own ability to like pull this off and it just it was really endearing and I just yeah he's a lot of fun so So that was cool. Um, And then uh, I also got to see Pinocchio. I know this is kind of a, what have they been watching lately? We can just start with that um, Mm -hmm. this time. So I saw Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio this week, and that is such a beautiful movie. I'm so excited for people to get to see it. It's going to be, it's in limited release in theaters right now. It's doing its like eligibility run, but it'll be on Netflix on December 9th. And it's a, it's darker than the Disney story, but it's, they're I mean, they're from the same original fairy tale. So it follows, you know, most of the same beats. It definitely follows the same path, but it makes some big changes. And um, it's stop motion animation with puppets. He wanted to make the movie about a puppet with puppets. And um just actual absolutely beautiful character design production design um and a really good story it's it like i said it is darker than other versions of pinocchio that we've seen but in a good way and it's funny because i was watching this thing it was a conversation between del toro and mike flanagan recently when they were talking about cabinet of curiosities and um flanagan has um the midnight club so it was like the two of them were having a conversation about their two series horror series on netflix and um and del toro was saying that he feels like he doesn't actually make horror movies and i was just like um i think he maybe needs to watch his movies (laughs) and (laughs) and it was evident in pinocchio too like there's 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 elements of horror in that as well that um we're just it really is Mm -hmm. so much of it is just hallmark quintessential del toro and it's just it's a great great film so i'm excited for people to get to
0: see it it, um, I mean, it looks gorgeous, and ev- yeah. everything that I've seen about it, um, yeah, it's it exactly what you're saying—that it's you know a beautiful foam and everything. which doesn't surprise me. I mean, we've we we talked a lot about the Toro, right? Podcast, yeah, <laughs> um, and everything, including like, and you know, again, that that whole horror horror slash fairy tale thing, which I think, as we discussed, it, it very much dovetails. Like, yeah. horror and fairy tale are very very close together, um, and they they overlap in a lot of ways. So, yeah yeah um afterwards i got to
1: meet del toro and um he really just is like a big cuddly teddy bear i did not get to give him a hug i wanted to so bad (laughs) but i didn't i didn't (laughs) want to be creepy (laughs) um but he was just so he's so fun also very delighted with like the work of the artists around him like it was he was very much not like, oh yes, look at this wonderful movie I've made. It was like, Yeah, and can you believe what my animators did? And I was so excited to see this work of these people. And then the conversation was with him and Alexandre Desplats, the composer. And um and the way that he would get all excited about Alexandra's work. And um and even mentioned that Desplats was the first one the first composer he's worked with ever who invited him to attend the recording sessions, which he did on shape of water. And um, I did not know that. And del Toro said that after that, he was like, I'm never going to miss one. And so he was at all the recording sessions for Pinocchio too, and getting to enjoy his composer's work and the, the, the um, musicians who were playing in the orchestra and all that. And it was just really just fun details. So. It was really cool. And afterwards, like when I was talking to him, I mentioned that we had recently um, dived into his filmography and I'd watched a bunch of his stuff and prep for a podcast. And And uh, I said, oh, yeah, I was watching Devil's Backbone. There are some elements that are very similar um, with Devil's Backbone and Pinocchio. And so we talked about that for a little bit. And I said, yeah, it's on HBO Max. And he goes, really? And I said, so many of your movies are on hbo max right now and he was so excited about that i said even chronos and he immediately said oh i'm sorry <laughs> <laughs> and i thought of you because i know you're not a big huge fan of that one oh, but i was bad. just like i like chronos and he goes no that movie's <laughs> terrible all i see are the mistakes i feel like devil's backbone is my first movie <laughs> yes vindication <laughs> so there you go vindication <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> well as wow. a rough draft i still like chronos a lot <laughs> I think as as we talked about, I think the Chronos actually has a lot of very good points to it like he's yeah I'm certain that particularly since it was his first film like that he looked at it and and is like, oh my God, here's what I would have done differently if mm-hmm. I'd known better right but it's yeah. still I mean as a first film as as any kind of film that is it, it's it's a fantastic debut like
1: yeah. yeah, it just was so funny and I immediately thought of you and I was like, oh my gosh, I wish Lauren was here for this conversation <laughs> so. that was fun um so it was like i was having a great week and then last night happened and this is this is a very long explanation for my current mood (laughs) so which doesn't sound i guess like i'm in a bad mood because i'm laughing but i'm very frustrated so last night i had a screening of the fablemans which is not the problem (laughs) (laughs)
0: <laughs> i'll just say that right now <laughs> i was i was gonna say oh no are you gonna rip on steven spielberg because um, you get in a lot of trouble doing that <laughs> i know uh
1: no um i it took me so i left work at four and they had a pre-reception at six and then the screening started at seven and paul dano was going to be at the perception and I was just like, eh, I'm not really that worried about making it for that. I mean, he's a he's a terrific actor. And I'd love to say hello, but I wasn't necessarily like, oh, I have to get there to meet him. You know, but um, I, when I left, it was like, OK, I was supposed to get there at 605 and I'm driving along. Traffic is getting increasingly worse. And a, a couple people were like, well, of course, you're driving into L.A. on Friday night night. Like, no, no, no. Usually people are leaving the city. It's not usually this bad trying to get in um but it was horrible and i ended up arriving in the parking garage at 6 40 and i had been freaking out at one point i thought am i even gonna make it in time for the screening and so i get there i park i go up to where it is and i run into someone i know outside and she's like they're overbooked they're at capacity i'm like what so i go and find i was like they can i had a confirmation they confirmed me and she's like i don't know what happened but they're out of sp- of spots they're not letting anybody in and so i went and found the publicist and i was just like i just drove 3 hours to get here and you're telling me that you don't have any spots and they're like no we're full and i was just like you you could have put that in the confirmation that this is not a guarantee a confirmation tells me it's guaranteed and they were like Sorry, we can recommend some restaurants in the area. And I was just like, I'm in Beverly Hills. <laughs> I was not planning on eating and I'm not dressed to eat in Beverly Hills on a Friday night. And also I'm in Beverly Hills. I can't afford to eat here. What are you talking about? This is not my budget. Um Yeah, so they turned me away. So then I had to leave and drive another two hours back home. So I was on the road last night for five hours, only going from work to home, basically. And I did not see the Fablemans and I have been mad about it ever since. And I'm not, it's like not specifically anybody's fault. And I'm not necessarily even like, it's not even about the movie. Like I wanted to see the movie, but it's not even about like, I'm not mad that I didn't get to see a movie, you know, whatever. It's fine. I'll Mm -hmm. see it later. It's not a big deal. It was just like so frustrating because if I had known there was even a chance I wouldn't have gotten in, I wouldn't even have gone on a Friday night. I would have been like, fuck it. I'll go home. I'll see it next week, you know, or whatever.
0: Yeah, or
1: or... go on. No, you go ahead.
0: No, I was just gonna say, or or even maybe realize, like, hey, I'm definitely gonna be late. So I, so might as so maybe I should just get off and turn around or try to go someplace else or something like that. Yeah, that's bullshit. Yeah, I was, I was frustrated, and it was like I don't know
1: whose responsibility it was, but I told the the publicists that were checking people in, they were or well, at that point, turning people away, and I was just like, listen. Can you I said it's not in the confirmation. And I said, other other ones that I've dealt with have said, like on there that there is a chance like that this is not a guarantee of admission, basically. And I said, I really I'm begging you. please next time put that because I thought confirmed was confirmed. I even got another invitation after I'd already had a confirmation, which told me that they were trying that they were worried about not having enough people there. So, they were like, "Yeah, we'll we'll definitely make a note of it, and we'll let you know about other screenings." I was just like, "The movie's coming out next week. I'll go fucking pay for a ticket. It's fine. I don't like. That's not the point, <laughs> you know. The point is the waste of my time. So it was five hours of my night when I could have been home in an hour and just watching movies on my TV at yeah. my house.
0: <laughs> so yeah, exactly. That's not cool. That's yeah. not cool. I'd be pissed too.
1: Yeah. So, and it's one of those things where it's just like, Ugh. I I went to bed mad. I woke up mad, and it's like. <laughs>
0: sorry
1: oh so that's why i'm in a mood and now we're going to talk about some movies that also made me mad but they're good (laughs) movies but they made me mad and um yeah so that's what this episode is
0: gonna talk about some light light joyous (laughs) happy little movies about wonderful
1: wonderful people
0: yeah, we're not at all unlikable, unhorrible human being. <laughs> yes, yeah, exactly. Before we do get into
1: that, though, since I already kind of opened this door, is there anything that you've watched lately <laughs> that you wanted to mention that
0: we're not already going to review? Uh, well, I-, I just wanted to mention the fact that I, I actually watched uh, Pearl last night because Yay! it's it's available... It's available to rent and at a reasonable price. I did wait until like it was no longer $20 to, to rent the film. Um, and of course, I've, I've, we've talked about X uh, a while ago and I was very excited to see Pearl. And I really liked the fact that beyond anything else, it's such a different film, but it also makes sense to the character as we know kind of what happens to her, right? Um, and I I really like there, there were a few things that I kind of wish they'd emphasized a little bit more, built up a little bit more, but it is such a fantastic, like, you know, the the use of technicolor, the use of um the very kind of circumspect use of violence, because there's actually not tons of violence in mm-hmm. the film until there is, right? It's it's very like sudden, but it builds, the tension builds so well um it's just a really well done film and Mia Goth like I I I said last night on Twitter actually that um in any other genre she would be a shoe-in for at least a best actress nod for this role but the fact that this is a horror film she's probably not going to get anything she might get some recognition but but you know I I would be surprised right um but she really—that's—that's that's not to say anything else. She's fantastic. Like she really, and she has to carry the movie because it's about her. Um, it's about her character. It is about what happens to her, and it's—it's it's in some ways a character study, which is fascinating for a horror film. Um, yeah. So I—I I really loved it. I do recommend it to people. It is, you know, available to rent pretty much, you know, anywhere you can rent films. And uh, I rented it on Redbox for four bucks. Nice. So yeah i i really do recommend it to people especially i would say you need to see x first yes that's Uh, the correct order Mm -hmm. yeah if if you haven't seen x definitely go go and watch x first and then rent pearl because first of all it's going to spoil some things um and and second of all it's very much you need to understand where the character what the character becomes before you realize where she came from
1: (laughs) Mm -hmm.
0: yeah definitely i um I love that Mia Goth got a
1: story by credit on this because did you know the whole history of how this movie even happened? Did we talk about this already?
0: No, I don't think so.
1: So when they were filming or when they were prepping X, what happened was, um, because they did it down in New Zealand because they filmed during the pandemic. New Zealand was the safest place to actually film anything because of how good their COVID protocols were and how strict things were. So it took so much time to get the casting crew um, assembled and and approved and and everything. So they were just like, "Well, we did all this. We've got some. We got all these people here. If we're gonna make one movie, we may as well make two. And while they were prepping X, Ty West, who's the writer director, um, was working with Mia Goth on her characters and um they created this whole backstory for pearl and it was really for her to prep to get into the mindset of the character for when they were filming x but as they were talking about it they realized like wow this could be a whole separate movie and so they basically filmed x took a three-week break switched out actors because of course not all the same actors and brought in the new like they used all the same crew but they brought in the new actors and started filming pearl and did that one like basically back to back
0: that's fantastic it, it makes sense yeah it makes sense because it, it also unlike some films where you've got that you know that that prequel it's like oh let's explain where all of this came from kind of thing um it really does feel like it's of a piece it doesn't feel like there's there's not you know there's not rec- there's no retconning right um or 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 anything like that like i said i wish that they had explored a little bit more that the, what x did which is that 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 combination of sex and death basically and we get a bit of that in in pearl but i really wish that that they'd gone into those elements a little bit more about her character specifically because mm-hmm. that's so important to her character in x mm-hmm. um but that that being said i i think that yeah it's a great it's a great backstory it's a great like there's so few really good female killers mm-hmm. who are I, it, it actually reminded me in watching i was just like this is similar in, in certain sense to some of the like quotation marks exploitation films uh mm-hmm. from like the 1960s so like whatever happened to baby jane uh hush hush sweet charlotte things like that yeah and and this this has elements of of those films i think um but you've got this very good actress who's giving a lot of like attention and nuance and sympathy mm-hmm. uh and understanding to this character who is also a monstrous right and and it's it's a fantastic kind of like i said character study building of yeah. this character um and and ultimately uh just so good and yeah i, I really i do encourage people to to watch it because it's so different too it's very much a slow burn it like i said there's not that much violence but when the violence happens it's very like stark and intense
1: yeah yeah and then that monologue she has i know everyone yeah. talks about the monologue but when i watched this um it was at a screening and they had like a q and a afterwards it was a coast to coast thing so we weren't watching the live q- well we were watching the live q and a but it wasn't present it was on the like, it was streamed for us but um, but watching the movie she goes into this this monologue and I'm listening and I'm you know watching her and it was probably halfway through like three minutes in before I realized wait a second the camera has not cut away she's doing this all in one take and then I you know and then the whole thing finishes and I'm like holy crap that was mm-hmm. incredible and then that actually came up in the Q a that they had they had worked on that and that wasn't the original plan, but she was just so good. She nailed it. So they were just like, all right, we're just going to go for it. And, um, but yeah, like most people seem to have had that same experience as me of like, you don't realize right away that this is all happening in one take. And then all of a sudden it clicks Mm -hmm. for you. So yeah. Incredible, incredible work. Yeah. I I feel bad for the casting directors who are going to have to listen to that over and over again for people's audition pieces. (laughs) (laughs) (laughs)
0: it's true true uh yeah also also i have to say just the final the final smile yeah over over the end credits which again you know you get that there's so much emotion passes across her face Mm -hmm. in just that shot of her and she's trying to maintain this smile and it's just like oh my oh my god and it's not a Um, diabolical smile it's it's, it's like torture yeah exactly and that's oh it's so good it's it's tortured like she's she's actually a very sympathetic character mm-hmm. um and and i i did i did love there are little elements and again if you've seen x that it, it it gives you a little bit more but there's there's one line that she delivers which just like i think there might be something wrong with me and you're just like yeah yes there <laughs> might be there might be oh my god <laughs> yep uh oh, it's fantastic so Yes. Um, highly recommended awesome what else have you
1: watched
0: uh i've watched a lot of the the films that we are going to to discuss today and i also have been watching uh rewatching actually the postman always rings twice um with the the original film with john garfield and lana turner and i haven't re-watched the whole thing but it's been a while since i've seen this film and i i did come to a point where i was like oh so lana turner is like 100 justified like, mm-hmm. totally. Like, just like, I'm going to kill my husband. Just like, yeah, you should. I think that you should. Um, and it, it did make me realize that so many femme fatals in these films is, are justified in, like, their their reaction. Because ba- basically what, what finally sets her off, if you haven't seen the film, it finally makes her go, like, I'm not doing this anymore, is her husband decides arbitrarily and like on his own right Mm -hmm. that they are going to sell their uh their diner they are going to leave they are going to go to the north of canada and she is going to be the caregiver for his his disabled sister like and he just tells her this in a single seat, and she's like we haven't even talked about this what are you talking about i what and and at, at a certain point it's just like oh so she's like she she's justified like of course she's upset of course she's angry about this <laughs> he's just decided to do this to her life without consultation and assumed she's going to accept it and then he's uh, mad that she's not okay with it yeah exactly and and it's it's interesting because something similar happens in the film leave her to heaven um which again is like a a lot very much about this this you know, this horrible woman. But when you really look at it, it's like she's so horrible. She wants to be alone with her husband and not be the caregiver of his family. <laughs> like that's that's what she's upset about. And you're just like, I mean, she takes it too far, you know. A but at the same time, <laughs> like this is actually a totally legitimate anger. Mm-hmm. <laughs> a lot of femme fatales are just like, you know what? Fair, fair. Sometimes you just gotta kill a motherfucker. Like yep. you just got it. they got a point so
1: <laughs> okay um well we are going to talk about a couple of noirs because this is no november but first let's just take a moment to celebrate that twitter is still here or are we celebrating
0: that i don't know i as we discussed last week i think there, there's a a balance here I, the, I i have many mixed feelings about what is going on with twitter i i can't I, there's this piece of me that there's a part of me that is like i kind of want it to just die because i think that then i said then i want to see what happens next i i guess
1: yeah um, I, I i think my feelings on it or i don't want it to just die because like when when my space died out it had been replaced by something which is why it died so it was like facebook came along that was the next big thing everyone migrated over to facebook and you knew how to find people if twitter just suddenly goes away there's a whole lot of people that i don't know where else to find them i don't even know who some of my some of the people that i follow like i don't know where they are on social media i follow them on twitter and that's it and i don't even necessarily think about them but now i'm like Oh I kind of would actually miss following them I don't necessarily need to see them on Instagram because I don't care about their pictures I care about their words you know so it's like yeah and I'm not going to go friend people on Facebook you know so it's like that's where I'm kind of I wish that if this is going like I I guess my concern is like this this is so this is all happening so fast that mm-hmm. nothing has caught up to be able to replace it and so it's not like we have a natural place to go next
0: well and i think that that's that's the other side of what i i actually think is more likely to happen i still am not convinced that twitter is just gonna like 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 we've joked about you know that we're gonna wake up one morning and it's gonna give us an error um, I'm not convinced that that is what's going to happen. I'm, I'm more convinced that it is going to wane. that yeah. you know, people are going more and more people are going to leave, people are going to kind of migrate to other places and that something similar in a certain sense to myspace, uh, something is going to begin to develop in its place. And it might not be exactly the same thing, but that that's, that's kind of well Twitter co- still continues to exist um and and continue to be like a center for this but yeah i mean it's it's weird I, I was joking the other day about um you know well now where am i going to post all of my drunken oscar reactions <laughs> right but it it is that because of the the way that twitter is developed and the community that is developed within it as positive and negative as that stuff can be it's a very unique space and there really isn't anything like it elsewhere on the internet so you know i i don't know whether there's actually going to be a twitter replacement so much as a fragmentation um kind of across a bunch of different social media platforms with twitter still as a thing and still as a, a part of the mix
1: yeah maybe which i think in some ways is good and but then i was i mean i said this like a joke but i was actually being a little bit serious um you know things like whenever i'm i'm not sure was that an earthquake we just had because it's little i'll go to twitter you know like whenever there's something big that's starting to happen um i go to twitter first to see like are other people reacting to this what are people saying about what's going on um because it's so much faster than the news you know and i know that there have been countries where you know, revolutions have been fueled by the ability to communicate and coordinate through Twitter specifically. And so those are the kinds of things where it's like, for better or worse, I think that there are some really important things that have been able to happen because of Twitter and the idea of not having any sort of mechanism like that, where there is a centralized location for people to go that is concerning but i don't but i think that we've gotten so used to that that i do think something else would eventually come along
0: yeah and and like like i say i i honestly i'm still not convinced that it's going to be a bust right that it's suddenly just going to vanish yeah um and i think that that's the way that a lot of people are talking but at the same time we're just like well you know but it's still there (laughs) yeah and I'm still um, using it as
1: long as it is. Yeah,
0: it's still functioning. Um, you know, how long it functions, if it continues to function, you know, what that actually looks like is is kind of a, we don't know. And, and I think that that's the problem is because, you know, in in a month or a year we might be looking back on this and being like oh here's what happened right but right now we're in the middle of it Mm -hmm. and we don't know what's going to happen with it and and it it is very confusing and discombobulating but at the same time i i mean i'm sort of like well this will be interesting right like there's not much there's not much we as individuals can do about it
1: right yeah,
0: we're just sitting here waiting to see what unfolds and yeah. what
1: the outcome is and whatever happens, happens. I mean, that's the thing is it's like, if it just goes away, we'll figure something else out or we won't and we'll just spend more time outside, which also
0: wouldn't <laughs> be a bad thing. <laughs> I mean, I have to say Twitter has fueled my anxiety about yeah. things that I really don't need to be sitting around being anxious about. And so that's there really is true. a there is a little part of me that is just like, man. Even if this just becomes less important, I I probably will actually be a happier person. That's a uh, that, very and, I, good point. and that's that's me, right? You know, that's not everybody, but a lot of people talk about how much Twitter fuels anxiety and and you know, when we've talked about before this this sense of apocalypse um, and things like that, and this kind of you know, just sort of accepting everything that everybody says constantly, uh, and and I do. It, probably be healthier for us as human beings if we were not as dependent on it as we are. Yeah. Very true. So
1: for now we're still on Twitter, but we'll see what it looks like next week. (laughs) Who knows? (laughs) Or speaking of anxiety. (laughs) You know, yeah, it's I don't I don't even know if I have anxiety over it or if I'm just curious. I I can't tell. (laughs) But oh well. Um so, this week, we decided to talk about Richard Woodmark, the um, famous actor from the noir era. Um, and before we do, though, we got, we're got we going to start with our listener question. Um, so, this is from Noah. And really, this is more a question for you because I don't really drink soap. <laughs> you would like to know yes. what alcoholic beverage goes best with film noir and what alcoholic beverage goes worst with film noir well
0: i mean i think i mean film noir is all about whiskey isn't it? like about it's it's about whiskey and cigarettes mm-hmm. um so, so definitely i mean if you are a higher class dame i would say like a martini um but but definitely whiskey i i think that all all of the great noir detectives drink whiskey uh so yeah i think that that would be my that would be my vote um the the worst pro any kind of like sweet cocktail i would (laughs) like a daiquiri no one in no one in a film noir drinks a daiquiri or um although i you know i just said that and then i just thought of a noir where like actually part of it turns on on the main female character getting really drunk on like coconut rum uh and and so so there's that but yeah like any of those kind of sweet alcoholic beverages like yeah no beer also like beer although people do do drink beer in film noir but um it's it's usually like it's represented as being kind of this is for low class people um this is for the 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 people who can't afford to drink whiskey basically all righty yeah if if you're gonna watch film noir you gotta you know like two fingers of whiskey and a cigarette and everything just like (laughs) A you perfect know, re- combination, huh <laughs> really make yourself sick
1: <laughs> um well this month while we've been drinking or no watching palm <laughs> <film> noirs <laughs> I've been drinking water, so I've been boring i
0: um, I mean honestly, I've been drinking beer primarily <laughs> so take that as you will uh solo class <laughs> <laughs> It's expensive beer, man. Like I, I have to, I am not. I do not drink cheap beer for the most part. I'm sure you don't. You, I, you do like the IPAs or whatever. Like no, I do not. I do not like IPAs. <laughs> I hate IPAs. Actually, I, I will drink pretty much anything other than IPAs. Um, but I do drink the. It is. It is like expensive, much more expensive beer. I'm not. I'm not pounding back Keystone or Bud Light or anything like that. <laughs> um the water in my refrigerator is delicious i'm just saying it's probably (laughs) cheaper than
1: what i do so you know yeah uh less fun though
0: yes probably
1: so okay so richard Woodmark is our featured um person this week and um so a little bit of background about him he was born december 26 1914 in minnesota so christmas baby and um he studied acting in college and actually taught acting too and got a degree in speech in 1936 he could not go into world war ii because of a perforated eardrum so he did not have to fight in the war um And then he started on the radio instead and did a bunch of of radio shows, um, eventually went to Broadway and performed, and then he got into films. And his first film was in 1947 in Kiss of Death. And from there, he just started working um, more and more. He he actually was nominated for an Oscar for uh, Kiss of Death. For Best Supporting Actor. Um, but then he just started doing a bunch of other stuff and he worked until uh, into the 80s, actually. And then he died. Like a lot of people do. Um, so some of his some of his film credits, um, most notable ones, uh, of course, Kiss of Death. He was in The Street with No Name, Roadhouse, Yellow Sky, Uh, night in the city panic in the streets no way out um lots of stuff and his very final film role was actually in the 90s in 1991 in the film true colors so we are going to talk about a couple of his movies
0: today um
1: where would you like to start
0: well we could start with kiss of death since that was his first film role and that kind of I think that definitely shaped his career at least for for a good part of the 1950s he did play like um he shows up in a lot of westerns as well and uh and he he's one of those actors that starts out very much playing villainous roles and you can kind of tell why if you've seen if you've seen kiss of death in particular um but he he branched out at a certain point he was never like this dashing leading man figure um but he he did he was able to play like you know decent characters good human beings um but i think kiss of death like really does highlight why he became such a big star i mean he got he got nominated for an award for it
1: mm-hmm. why don't so, you why don't you talk a little bit about um that movie in particular okay
0: so so kiss of death uh actually does not star richard woodmarket stars victor mature right um <laughs> Who is one of the most boring actors I have ever watched on screen? I'm sorry, Victor Mature. Just like is, I'm always like, why are you here? Like, literally, anyone could play this part. Um, but Victor Mature plays Nick Bianco, who is a a kind of ex, he's an ex convict um, who refuses after he kind of a botched uh, jewelry heist. He refuses to to turn evidence against his his partners, and so he winds up getting thrown into prison again. Um, and when he he talks to the district attorney, who is essentially saying to him, look, if you turn, if you agree to inform on people, then we're going to get you out. You know, you can be you could be a much um, you can be a much a better person. He's got two daughters uh, that after his his wife actually commits suicide, he's got two daughters who are essentially in care. And he's like, OK, I need to I need to get out. I need to actually take care of my children, et cetera so he winds up in prison he meets tommy Udo, played by richard widmark um who is an absolute psychopath (laughs) uh and and essentially what he winds up doing is he agrees to turn evidence on tommy Udo and um and get him get him in prison for uh an unsolved robbery this or uh, not an unsolved robbery a murder actually this backfires on him uh basically and you know who is is crazy and uh is begins coming after nick and his family so that's that's the basic idea i think that it's one of those films that's very basic in a lot of ways like it's just like oh this and it's got that that morality element to it that shows up in a lot of the, a lot of films and kind of the mid-1940s where it's like ah oh, you're a bad guy but you should you should turn good and you know do the right thing and that kind of thing and so it's it's very much about that reinforcement of like home and family etc Um, uh, which you know is fine i'm not saying that oh crime is wonderful or anything like that um but it's it's a much more moralistic i guess film noir than than some of the other noirs that we've talked about uh and and widmark who isn't in the film for a great deal of time but he really does steal the show because he's his character is so he he's like a perfect psychopath and in fact um he he talked about you know modeling the character of Tommy Udo on the joker on the batman the batman villain right and you can see that definitely first of all woodmark has woodmark just has a smile and a laugh that you're like you're probably a very nice guy in real life but you look like a psychopath like you you are you he he turns it into this this really intense crazed wildness and one of the things that works i think in this film in particular is because he is he's so unpredictable you're like he is not going to behave like a reasonable intelligent human being who you know considers all of the consequences of his actions he might simply kill you because he feels like it Uh, and, and I think that that tension is what really keeps the film going and, um, and it makes the film that much more interesting and exciting, which otherwise is, is you know, pretty basic and straightforward film. Thank you. I have not actually watched it. It's, it's absolutely worth watching. It's one of those that I think it is, it's worth it for Woodmark. everything else that is kind of around him. Uh, I mean, I'm not impressed by it particularly. I don't think that it's doing anything different. It's really very much about him uh and and at that at that level like you know he's fantastic the rest of the film is kind of banal sort of a b movie basically okay cool well i got him an oscar nomination which he
1: by the way lost to um santa claus (laughs) edmund gwen from uh, the miracle on 34th street
0: (laughs) i think it's great that's that's an interesting competition right there (laughs) right
1: oh man um okay so let's talk about night and the city that is um one of the films that we had kind of picked out to talk about for for uh, mm-hmm. for this episode and that's the first one on the list so um as far as what he did so night and the city is from 1950 it was directed by jules Dassin and co-stars jean tierney um based on a novel that i was reading Dassin did not actually read <laughs> which i thought that was kind of funny um but yeah so it's um why don't you go ahead and explain the plot of this one i i'm like <laughs> i never i know what it i know it's bad i watched the movie but it's like i'm never sure how much to say
0: <laughs> well i don't yeah that that's the problem with this because it's a it's a noir and it's particularly twisty noir like a lot yeah. of just it's like cascade failure basically we were talking about (laughs) that in in relationship to detour um and i think that this actually has a lot of a lot of connections to detour except that where detour the guy kind of makes one mistake and it results in all of these other mistakes compounding right right yeah this one is he keeps on fucking up and pushing it further and further until it, <laughs> it's you know just until he's just like he's so tired that he's just like oh my god this just has to end like <laughs> this just has to end um yeah so so woodmark plays harry fabian who is a a hustler and con man living in london who kind of works for an underground nightclub um uh owned by by phil and uh was phil and mary who are both just delightful. I, I wanna talk about them for a few minutes uh, when we get there. But so he, he basically makes a living hustling people. And what we learn at the very beginning of the film is that he is constantly on the lookout. He's constantly looking for these get rich quick schemes. And he, he is driving his girlfriend, Mary, insane, because he keeps on coming up with these things. They're just like, well, I just need 200 pounds. I just need 300 pounds. I, and if i do this then we're going to get rich we're going to you know be able to to live proper lives et cetera. Et cetera. and you know she's constantly telling him stop please <laughs> and and of course he doesn't because he is obsessed with this idea that like if he just has this one break if he just manages to do this one thing he's going to be successful so basically this is a story about the worst con man of all time uh who continues to fuck up his own life and fuck up the life of, his, of the woman that he loves and who loves him um and he winds up getting in in a a bad scene with uh, a local wrestling promoter and it, th- this also includes um the pr- played by the way by herbert womb uh, and then this also includes the the promoter's father, and so there's an entire subplot actually about wrestling and um and about hustling, like about the difference between honest, real, actual Greco-Roman wrestling and uh the faked stuff that that you know is the, is the stuff that makes money. Um, and so things just basically go from bad to worse for Harry, and uh and ends in a way I think that we could we can almost predict from the very beginning of the film
1: yeah um you had made i so i just watched this last night actually um but you had made a comparison before i saw it that while i was watching this i was like oh yeah definitely this is true where this feels a lot like the movie uncut gems with adam sandler from just a couple years ago um do you want to talk about that a little bit
0: well, for me, I think it was that um, the reason why I began thinking about Uncut Gems is that partway through the movie, I've seen this film a couple of times and partway through the movie and watching it again, I was like, oh, yeah, this really stresses me out. Um, this is a very stressful film. But it, it it's similar in the sense that it is about this this hustler who isn't stupid, like he's not a dumb person. He's actually very smart, but he just doesn't think far enough ahead. Mm-hmm. and he thinks that he can game people that he can't really gain um and it gets worse and worse basically so every decision that's that's why i was saying like unlike detour where it's like one bad mistake this is more like a series of bad decisions that are kind of inevitably leading to to a a conclusion right uh, and those and-
1: decisions are him intentionally like robbing peter to pay paul basically where it's like exactly he lies to one person so that he can get them to give him some money and promises them something he can't deliver so then he gets someone else to like create it and make it up so he's giving a forgery instead of the real thing that he has promised and that that kind of thing yeah
0: yeah, it, it just gets worse and worse and worse. And it's all decisions that he makes. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and there's a certain point where he basically can no longer, like there's nothing he can do about it anymore. He wouldn't be able to back out if he wanted to. Yeah. Um, but everything that happens to him, it's, it's different from like this fatedness, except that, you know, maybe it's, it's he's fated in the sense that he has a fundamental character flaw that he cannot escape from or that he cannot um break out of basically but it isn't that same kind of fadedness as in um detour where you've got a character who is is basically being uh being treated badly by the universe right, right. this is more like a character who because of his flaw is complicating his own life is causing pain and suffering to other people and then is is you know ultimately to to a conclusion where you know, he's, he's not going to, he's not going to be successful. And you know it. I think that the viewer knows it right from the very beginning. We meet this guy and he's already running away from someone. That's the first time we meet him. And he's already like, oh, if you just give me this money, it's just like, no, no. And, and, and his, his girlfriend, Mary is constantly being like, no, I'm not going to do this for you. And, and he's like, but if you do, he's like, no, it won't work. It's not going to work, Mm -hmm. (laughs) but he still believes that it will. Yeah.
1: And honestly, I mean, I was I was in a frustrated state of mind when I watched this, which probably didn't help because it's a very good movie. I'm I'm not saying that it's not, but it's just it. It was just watching this this guy who's really not a particularly nice person either. Um, So it's not like I even wanted to root for him. It was just like, no, fuck this guy. Just just beat the crap out of him. You know, he deserves it. He's got it coming. And. So it was just watching him just screw people over and just make increasingly bad decisions and choices and still convincing himself that he's going to get himself out of this. It was just, it was such a frustrating experience for me, but I also credit Woodmark because um, it's a really good performance. And I think that the film itself is, is really well laid out and it by the time you get to the end it's like there's no happy way to end this story um i was reading that yeah. there's five extra minutes in the british version and that it does end on a more positive note which i thought was
0: weird <laughs> <laughs> i don't how can how can it end on a more positive i don't note? know i was very confused <laughs> like <clears throat> um, yeah, I, but yeah i'm i mean the the people you know the the people who fuck up do get punished. Mm-hmm. I, I I do think that it's not it isn't one of those where like the bad guys win in the same sense. Um, although you know how how you want to interpret. Although there's
1: really not any good guys in this movie either.
0: Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, except for Mary and and her above what up, upstairs neighbor. Right. right? Yeah. Who are both decent people. True. Um and and I think Mary's Mary's biggest struggle is the fact that she happens to be in love with the very wrong man um and and i think that one of the tragic things about it is that at some at some level he knows it too he Mm -hmm. knows that that there there is almost this sense that he knows she can do better and he knows that he is causing her pain and and it is like it you know kind of goes back to that tragic flaw element um that that again shows up in a lot of uh, film noir of, of he still almost is compelled to do it Mm -hmm. Um, is compelled to keep on making these mistakes and you know it's it's one of those stories where it's just like oh if i can just get that one big break and you know that the character is never going to get that one big break right it's not going to work and the only way he's going to survive this is if he lets it go but at the same time he's not going to and it's one
1: of those things where it's like you watch him and you think if you would put this much effort into a real job you would be so much better off in life
0: well yeah and that's basically what she tells him if you mm-hmm. would just like we could own it we could do anything like he like i said he's not he's not stupid he's right. not it he's isn't just like looking for he's, the easy
1: score he yeah,
0: doesn't want to put in
1: the effort and the energy and time and years that it would take to do it
0: exactly like yeah and, and so like the whole thing about the 300 pounds that she has saved over you know months and years putting a little bit away and she's working in this you know rundown cafe, basically um but she has saved it and she's like no this is the money that i have managed to to collect and he's gonna blow it all on a get rich quick scheme yep and uh yeah i i i honestly really love this movie it's a fascinating film i i think and um and i do like it in the same way that i like uncut gems and that i'm sitting there going like i am so stressed out right now (laughs) but i'm fascinated like i have to see what happens next (laughs) yes well, the same year, um,
1: 1950, he did Panic in the Streets, which was directed by Elia Kazan. And um, this one is set in the ni- in the United States. It's actually set in New Orleans. And um, this is in this film, he plays a doctor who is trying to uh, he's working with the local police department. They're trying to track down someone who has potentially uh, been exposed to or carrying carrying the pneumonic plague, which is not the bubonic plague, but is very similar. Um, and he's out in hiding somewhere in the city and could potentially launch an epidemic. And as you pointed out before I watched this one, um, not a comforting movie to watch when we're still living in a pandemic. <laughs>
0: well this this movie i actually saw it for the first time last year i think oh um but it was even more crazy Yeah, and and I remember reading like the description being like, oh, is this something I really want to do right now? But that's one of the the distressing things actually about this film is that you know, this is a film made in 1950 about like, oh, what would happen if there was this there was this epidemic and it was an epidemic that could turn into a pandemic and no one was doing anything. We're trying to contact trace. And they use phrases like, you know, isolation and contact tracing and things like that. Just like Oh my god. Oh my god. This is so this is not okay. This is too real, man. You don't know how real this is gonna be. A little bit of uh PTSD there. <laughs> yeah, it, it's it's uh it's a great film, but it is very much like, yep, okay. Uh also yeah. I have bad news about human beings. <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah. Well, and I think
1: that's one of the things that's really interesting about this one. First of all, just a couple of facts to mention. Um, this is the uh feature film debut of jack palance who plays a mob guy and um i just thought that was a fun fact uh this is also part of the fox noir collection and you can watch it on the criterion channel um but yeah so as i was watching this and you see this this doctor and this police officer uh captain running around town they're basically i mean they're they're having to deal with like the seedy underbelly of new orleans they're going into like these mafia holdout or hideouts and stuff and they're going into like down into the shipping yards and stuff like that and um and interviewing immigrants and interviewing Mm -hmm. like all kinds of people i mean they're not the seedy underbelly but you know what i mean like they're going into these these places like these these um um less um hygienic <laughs> parts of yeah. of town and um and it's really interesting and also a little bit triggering listening to people's reactions and i just thought man because you know people are they have an inoculation and people are resisting being inoculated and even like the police officers won't they don't want to do it they think they're not at risk so they don't there's, want to
0: and yeah there there's there's a great scene i i think it's where like all the police officers are being inoculated against this because they're having to go into these places they're like you need to be inoculated so that you mm-hmm. don't catch it and pass it to someone else and actually cause more problems and the and like at, at one point they're like well no it just like and, and I, I think it's like the police captain is just like are you stupid? Yes. are you stupid like you are willing you gonna go fight these these dangerous criminals over you're scared of a little needle and it's just like do you know you like understand the reality of human <laughs> beings um but but also with the the issue of the of immigrants so the the whole thing gets started is because this this man um bring accidentally not knowing obviously brings it over and winds up infecting people right um but the whole issue with immigrants is also that the immigrants uh being worried about talking to the police and not being willing to talk to the police because they don't trust the u.s government they don't trust the the cops right um they're afraid that they're going to actually cause more problems for themselves they're going to cause more problems for their families and so so much of the film is about you know like essentially and particularly the richard widmark character saying like i don't care why you're in the united states i don't care if you're if you're here legally illegally it doesn't matter we need to deal with this very real danger. Um, that you could get really sick and you can make other people really sick. Yeah, exactly. But it actually deals with I think those elements, I think, in a really interesting and sympathetic and realistic, as we know, basically, mm-hmm. um, way of of like people actually being afraid of inoculation, afraid of vaccines, afraid of, you know, talking to people who can actually help them. Yeah. Well, and that's what I found so
1: interesting about this film, because um, I mean, dealing with a pan- a potential pandemic, and then like you're mentioning with the the immigrant issues, um, concerns, and then the police officers, like it, it's one of those things. We've talked about this on this podcast before, but it's just another um another piece of evidence for me that people do not change. People are always the same and the same problems that we're dealing with in 2022 are the ones that they were dealing with in 1950 and that they were dealing with in 1920 and people just are the same and we're always going to not comply for legitimate and illegitimate reasons and uh, people are going to just think that panics or pandemics don't apply to them, that they're somehow naturally just not at at risk or whatever and that's i think what was so interesting about watching this and i mean this is a film that could have just as easily been set in in you know 2020 yeah as 1950
0: well and it it also gets at that element of like and, and that i think most of us remember from the beginning of the pandemic of being in the wrong place at the wrong time so so you know it being passed because someone goes into a restaurant and eats a meal And Mm -hmm. the waiter who serves them catches the virus and passes it on to somebody else. That very real. And that is the way the pandemic start, as we know. Right. Um, And that that very real element that also um, increasing sense of paranoia of like if you are in contact with the wrong person accidentally, right, passing them on the street, sitting next to them in a bar, um, you could potentially be spawning a pandemic. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and i think that the film gets at that very well and yeah it, it does definitely i think create a sense of ptsd and those of us now who are like this is this has happened yeah
1: yeah exactly it was uh it was very interesting to to watch this one i thought it was very well done um but also a little too close to hell <laughs>
0: and woodmark also playing an actually decent human being right um, which yeah. is, is nice to see you know that that he could actually play a good character you know his whole thing is like oh he loves his wife and kid you know mm-hmm. he he really just wants to go home he's like but this is his job and he's he's trying to do his best yeah
1: yeah it's good stuff um okay and so then the other film that we wanted to talk about this week is pick up on south street and this is one that i was i was watching i was into it and i was not watching it at the right time of the day so i did not make it all the way through and i need to finish it later so why don't you talk a little bit about pickup on south street
0: <laughs> so uh pickup on south street is is it's a film that i've seen many times and i keep on forgetting it it's and, and it's not because it's a bad film. For some reason, I, like, can never remember what actually happens in it. (laughs) Um, So it is written and directed by Samuel Fuller, who, if you do not know who Samuel Fuller is, he he is uh, really one of the true first strong American independents um, from the 1950s. And he was a newspaper man before he became a director. Um, He wrote and directed most of his own stuff uh and and basically what happens is woodmark plays a a pickpocket who um steals a wallet that happens to contain a microfilm of government information because of course it does <laughs> yeah and this is a total this is an error this is a total error he just picks the wrong pocket basically um and so he begins to be pursued both by the police uh and and by the the government and then also by the 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 opposing side who are after him who want the the film and he doesn't completely realize you know like why this is happening uh and and much you know it's interesting it actually has some affinity i think with panic in the streets where it deals with those underworld elements of if the cops want to know something they shouldn't be allowed to know it. Even if the viewer is aware that uh if you know you need to tell them what's actually going on because this because this is going to endanger you. Um, and and I, I think that it does a, a very good job at again, the those kind of noir uh elements of um of the underworld, of people kind of living on the fringes of society, and uh and Woodmark in particular is playing again one of those characters who is not 100 percent likable, but does have his own moral code and does, you know, actually he actually does care about people. He's not a total psychopath. Uh, and he it's it's, I think, a very well done film that kind of gets at um, those elements of noir that are about these you know underworld characters who have their own society, have their own way of relating to each other. And then the cops are sort of in the middle of all of this, trying to get them to do the right thing. Yeah, <laughs> um, I it's a defen- complicated film. It's it that—that's yeah. what I'm saying. It's just like going back to it. It's just like, wait a minute, what happens then? Like, I know that Thelma Ritter gets killed, mm-hmm. like, and I don't—I can't completely remember why, but it's because she's protecting him. Right.
1: Yeah. Um, I—I I saw that part. <laughs> it was one of those things where it was like I really wanted to focus on it. I was trying to watch. I saw the beginning, and then it was just like I was just my eyelids were getting heavy. And then it was like I kept coming in and out. So it was like I don't know what order things happened in. I'm not entirely sure what was going on.
0: <laughs> so, well, I, feel a lot happens, I did not fully prepare for this one. A lot happens really, really quickly. i think that that's part of it it's only about an 80 minute film Mm -hmm. um it's this so this isn't like you know this doesn't have a lot of setup a lot of like it basically gets you right into it it gets you introduced to to Woodmark's character and then into all the complications and half the time he doesn't understand what's going on because he doesn't realize what he's gotten yeah he doesn't realize that he he is he is essentially accidentally stolen government secrets right Uh, and then when when he realizes this he's like okay how do i turn this to my own advantage Mm -hmm. basically uh and and so it gets increasingly complicated for him
1: yeah i will say very effective opening scene because it starts on this train and like on a subway and this is when he is pickpocketing her and like you know he's got the the newspaper up and and he makes eye contact with her a couple of times and they're very close together. Cause the subway car is really crowded. And he, so it like shows him very carefully opening her bag and like kind of, you know, without looking, just kind of fiddling through it and finding you know her wallet or whatever that he can take out. And meanwhile, someone else is watching him. Um, but because of the way things are shot and because of the angles that things are at, like, um, you're really not sure is this just a a guy who just happens to be a passenger on the train noticing that this doesn't look like a good situation or what so you don't realize that it's because the FBI is following her <laughs> and
0: mm-hmm.
1: um yeah anyway I just I really liked that intro I thought it was a a good scene it was um very frustrating because I was just like just look down he's trying to steal your stuff out of your bag <laughs> because I t- <laughs> because <laughs> i didn't read the plot summary ahead of time on this one i just jumped in to start watching it so i didn't know like who she was who he was what was what was happening and then um yeah and then you very quickly find out and it was just like oh man
0: i don't know it's one of, it, it it's it's a very well done opening sequence it's actually it's a very famous opening sequence i think a lot of people this is this gets quoted in like film courses and things like that um and, you know, again, thinking about going back to some of the stuff that we've, we've talked about in terms of fate and uh, the fatedness of characters in, in noir. Um, again, it's it's one of those incidents where it's this very small thing. You know, it's similar to detour. You know, again, you, you get in the wrong car, you pick the wrong pocket, uh, you do the wrong thing, this small mm-hmm. thing that then sets off all of these other events that you are that you then try to control, but really can't because they're bigger than you. Yeah. um and and in some way and very often there's a sense with all of these characters that this is happening to them because they are the sort of people that this happens to. This is simply their fate to be like this. Yeah. Uh and I think that you get that in pick up on South Street. Although the Woodmark character takes control um in a, a lot faster and attempts to, you know, kind of figure out what's actually going on and and then how to turn it to his own advantage and what this actually means for him. Yeah. So are there any
1: other Richard Widmark films specifically that you'd like to mention before we wrap things up?
0: There was one that came that was on um that was on Criterion for a while because they were doing a Sydney Poitier uh retrospective. And that's no way out from 1950. Mm-hmm. And Widmark actually plays a um uh, a very racist kind of hood in I, I think that the film is set in I want to say that it's set in like chicago or it might actually be like an unnamed uh, u.s city but essentially it uh poitier plays a doctor who attempts to save the life of two criminals who have been shot up one of them was played by richard widmark and then the other one is his brother um who winds up dying and widmark's character blames poitier for this for his death and this is all kind of set amid all of these racial tensions uh in this city that eventually kind of erupt into this big violence and uh and again i think the widmark in particular in this in this film i want i don't want to say that he makes the character sympathetic but he may you you he gets at the real destruction of racism and yeah. of how racism is fueled by not not just by you know your own whatever personal opinions or something like that, but by class and by circumstance and by who you are taught to hate, mm-hmm. uh, and and why you are taught to hate them, and and part of it is very much about you know Woodmark's character who is like poor, constantly struggling, constantly committing crime, all of this stuff, and that he sees this young black doctor who is actually you know becoming successful who is actually has responsibility and he's angry about it he's angry about the fact that his brother's life and his own life were in the hands of this man that he considers subhuman and uh it's it's a really fantastic performance by woodmark it's really fantastic performance by Poitier as well it's it's very much worth seeking out it's it's a fascinating and very complex film
1: yeah that one was really good i watched that when it was on criterion a while back and um yeah i think that that the way that they really um i i think the way you explained it was was right on i think just the fact that they they don't they make it clear that racism is and it's never okay obviously but um But that there's there's so much more to it than just someone just wakes up one day and doesn't you know doesn't like people of another race. It's it's a lot more complicated and there's so much, um, and that's part of why it's such an ugly thing is because it's once you learn that behavior, it's very difficult to unlearn it and hate just breeds and grows. And I think that that's what you really see in Woodmark's character. And um yeah, it's a fantastic performance from both of them too. Um directed by Joseph Minkwitz.
0: It's a really well done film. Yeah. Um, all right. Any others? Those are the big ones. I mean, like I say, he's been in a lot of westerns as well. You know, most yeah. of we are talking about obviously we're talking about film Noir. Um, he did a lot of westerns and I'm I'm kind of blanking on some of them. I know uh usually he plays a film. Then. <laughs> it's that smile man like he's just got a psychotic smile yeah i mean he just looks like a villain
1: that's just you know it's fine anyway um yeah so check out some of those um i know panic in the streets is available on the criterion channel um some other ones you can find them if you open up you know youtube and do search that we advocate for such things i'm just saying that sometimes that's possible when they don't make movies available
0: um so i'm just saying (laughs) it reminds me of the other day i think it was weird al yankovic someone asked him like how how do you how can we watch your movie in uh, in britain and he's just like well i would never tell you that there might be torrents of places (laughs) that you Uh, i'm just saying if it's on youtube
1: that means that the studio has not bothered to take the time to slap you know copyright complaints because (laughs) they're pretty quick with those when they care so that's all i'm saying (laughs) sure
0: sure and and also also have to say night in the city is available on criterion blu-ray um and it's it is a gorgeous film like the 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 cinematography is fantastic and so if you can watch it in in a blu-ray level format I, I think i highly recommend it
1: yeah it is a gorgeous gorgeous film so definitely awesome okay well that is going to wrap things up for this week then um we would like to thank you all for being here and for listening and um, we'd especially like to thank our patrons who helped make this show possible they are ollie brian connor estefania heather james kathleen Kariatta, Mason, Matt, Michelle, Monty, Nanina, Robert, Robert, Steve, Sharon, and Tao. We um we also would like to just let you know if you'd like to become a patron yourself, you can go to patreon.com slash dame and subscribe. Um I guess last week we had mentioned if uh, if there are any outstanding um things like um subscriber benefits that you haven't gotten yet to let us know. So um so that still stands if you already did let us know in this past week then they are on the way um but if you haven't gotten things and and um you're looking for them please let us know because we do want you to get your stuff so um yeah we have our zazzle store zazzle.com slash citizen dame pod you can find shirts and buttons and masks and things there and we have our co-fi co-fi.com slash citizen dame if you would like to reach out to us and, and tell us wonderful things, you can email us, citizendamepod at gmail.com. And be sure to check out our website where we have reviews. Um, we started the Citizen Dame 5 again, and then I very promptly got really tied up with other deadlines and have not done it for the last two weeks. And that's totally on me. Um, but it's there. And you can go to Citizen Dame Pod for all of our written content. We are on the socials. We're still on Twitter and on Instagram, Citizen Dame Pod we are on Letterboxed at citizen dame we have a mastodon account and we might start posting there who knows we'll see and that is citizen dame pod at mastodon.social we'll see we're uh, checking it yeah. out if i can figure out how the fuck it works yeah that's kind of it's I'm- you know it's fitting that the that the uh mascot is a. Uh, fossil because that's how i feel trying to figure out new <laughs> technology these days
0: i i'm way there i'm partway there <laughs> like i i have my own account i'm like i think i understand kind of i am following people uh <laughs> yeah. yeah
1: yeah uh we also have um we're on pinterest now too and that's also citizen dame pod that is I basically started the account and pinned like four things. So we have not, there's not much there right now, but we're going to be working on that. That's going to be my project over the holiday break. Nice um, yeah. getting that up and going. So, yeah. So that's where you can find us, find the show. You can find us individually. Lauren, where are you?
0: I am on Twitter, Instagram, and Letterboxd at LH Business. And I am on Mastodon at LH Business at Mastodon.social. There we go. <laughs>
1: Christ. Yeah. And I'm on all those social medias at Karen M. Peterson. I just keep it keep it simple too. It's, I, when this Mastodon thing started coming and then other people were looking at I um, counter social, I was like, you know what? I don't know if I will use these, but I'm just going to go ahead and reserve my name so that no Mm -hmm. one else steals it (laughs) so so if you're on those other alternate medias look for me and see if i'm on there and yeah
0: we'll figure it out
1: (laughs) maybe or we won't maybe we'll just start we'll start a newsletter and it will be like you'll receive a chiseled stone delivered to your house (laughs) (laughs) a paper copy (laughs) (laughs) i'm gonna train some carrier pigeons it's gonna be great uh anyway so that is gonna wrap things up for this week we hope that you all have a fantastic thanksgiving enjoy the holiday and uh if you celebrate and if you don't have a fun thursday um yeah and we will catch you next time
0: bye oh um captain the um Boys are sort of wondering why they have to take these shots. They've been wondering, have they? Where do they think they are? In a summer camp because the commissioner said so. That's why. That's what I told them. Yes sir. It's a the matter they're afraid of a little needle they've been wondering. Roll up your sleeve. What do you mean? What do you think you're going to do? Roll up your sleeve. Why should I take one of those things? Because the commissioner said so. And I told the commissioner. Roll it up. Anything funny, Scott? No, sir. No, sir. Oh, brother, this I've got to see. What's the matter? You guys ain't got enough work to do? Yes, sir. Funny of it, Well, get on it.